Well, thank you very much for our first of the 2018 session uh, preview. Uh, appreciate all of you that are joining in with us today. We want to kind of go through uh, pre-session what we think uh, the session looks like as we head down that way. Um, I want to remind you if you have questions, and their questions are of one of my staff, direct those to my staff, or if they are of me, direct them to me. So if you can do that, the staff will see your question and then we'll make sure we answer it. Uh, we're in a limited amount of time, so make sure that, and my staff will make sure in the questions that we answer the questions quickly and not long detail. If we get a whole lot of questions, then those questions we're unable to get to, we will make sure that either myself or the staff will follow up and answer those questions. So please direct us questions if you have as we go through this. So once again, thank you for tuning in and being with us. As you know, uh, we start off session on Monday, uh, January the 8th will be the starting of the 2018 uh, session. Uh, just a little preview going into it, remembering after the November elections that the Senate changed in leadership. So we now have Democrats that are in control of the Senate. They have 26 members. But remember, one of those 26 will still be uh, caucusing with the Republicans. So actually, the Democrats have a 25-24 majority, much the same as the Republicans had 25-24. It's just reversed to where the Democrats have that. With that close number and election year, I don't perceive us going into a lot of heavy details or getting into there'll be a lot of discussion of which uh, new staff that we brought on that is going to be doing tax and fiscal we'll talk about. I think there'll be a lot of talk about new revenue, but I don't think there'll be a push to raise new revenue this session because it's an election year. The House stayed the same numbers, uh, so the Democrats over there have a 50 uh, member over in the House. So the Democrats control the governor's office as well as the Senate, as well as the House. We haven't seen that for a number of years. Uh, there will be a lot of angst that they want to run stuff now that they control all, but I think there will be pressure to keep things mild uh, this session. A lot of the discussion that I've had with senior leadership um, is that they will get out in 60 days. It wouldn't surprise me if they really push to get out in 59 days to show that when they're controlling all three bodies, they can get out on time. Remembering in the short session, all they mainly have to do is go in and look at caseloads, make some adjustments if those are needed, and then leave town. Like I said, I think there will be some discussion about revenue, but I don't think that we will see uh, revenue necessarily uh, be raised this time. Our concern is we are sitting at about a 1.2, Clay makes correct me, but I think we're sitting at about a 1.2 ending fund balance. We want that fund balance left alone. We don't know for sure what's going to happen in 2019. The economy is still growing strong in our state. We're up around four to five hundred million dollars that was not projected gives them some money that they can spend on some of the uh, caseloads if they change. So there is money there that they can spend, but we really believe we need that strong fund balance hanging on there going into 2019, not knowing what the next biennium is going to do. We do know that the governor's budget, he spends down that fund balance. 
and replaces that with money in 2019 with a proposed, some type of proposed uh, carbon tax, as yet undefined. We're concerned about doing that, once again, drawing down that fund balance, and you set yourself up to having, having to have revenue in 2019. So we will be strong pushers. Let's stay where we're at. Let's take the ending, the 500 new dollars and do some things with maybe putting those towards investments and driving down property taxes around education that Amy may talk about. But there's things we can do there. One of our big pushes, again, that we talked with all of you about is going forward and picking up what the governor vetoed out is the B&O tax for uh, manufacturers that export outside of the state. So with that, McCleary was fully funded, although it goes out to 2019. The courts didn't like going out to 2019. It's fully funded. I don't think we need to talk about new dollars for McCleary. Let's just go out to 2019 and fulfill that promise that they did in this session. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Amy. Amy has been doing our education workforce. This year, she's also going to pick up health care. So Amy, you want to go through some of the issue areas? Sure, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. And just a reminder that if you do have questions, please submit them either to one of us GA staff that you'd like them directed to or to uh, Gary himself and they'll get them to us. And just a quick background on healthcare. Uh, we, we have uh, not had a healthcare person since last session. So just want to assure you that we are working on that hard. My career actually started in healthcare policy in Spokane. Uh, working for Greater Spokane Incorporated and then as well at Premier Blue Cross. So I'm doing a deep dive into what's going on with healthcare in the state and how we can best represent um, our businesses. So a few things we'll see on healthcare uh, this session. There are several pharmaceutical pricing uh, bills dealing with transparency of pricing as well as some um, opioid uh, restrictions. So we'll be monitoring those very closely. Uh, other bills with health care, AWB does provide an association health plan for our members. It currently covers over 30,000 lives uh, provided by 2,500 employers. Uh, it's a high-quality plan that provides all the state's mandates, which is evidenced by our almost 90% retention rate. So we will be monitoring working with our uh, elected officials to preserve that benefit for our, our state's businesses. On the federal level, there was an executive order in October of 2017 that does have the possibility of expanding association health plans, so we will be looking at that as they release the rules. Those were due last month, so we uh, expect those to come out shortly. Uh, looking into education and workforce, as Gary said, we do believe that McCleary was fully funded. So we are now beyond McCleary. What is happening with that uh, over $4 billion that's been uh, dedicated to the K-12 through system uh, in the last four years, plus an additional $8.4 billion projected out through 2021? So we're looking at early learning. We do believe there will be some funding requests uh, leading up to next year's 2019 big budget requests. There are studies that show that if we do put funding into and we do focus on early learning, that we do have the opportunity to make some changes in our K through 12 and our post-secondary system. So as we look at funding early learning, we want to make sure that the funding that is going into early learning will seamlessly transition into our K through 12 and our post-secondary system so that we are benefiting all systems, uh, all education systems in the state of Washington. There is some licensing bills that have been coming up in the state around early learning. How do we make sure that we have quality child care providers, quality uh, early learning providers as well? So we'll be monitoring uh, those. 
In our K through 12, in addition to looking at how we are spending that money, assessments have been an issue uh, for the past four to six years. Last year, we did have the ability to move our 11th grade assessments back to the 10th grade. Gives our system a better opportunity to assess our students, our system as a whole, and then react in a more timely fashion uh, to the needs of our students. So we'll be looking at any additional assessment bills that come forward to address how is it that we best monitor our system, our students, and provide a better quality education for them. Current technical education funding in the K through 12 system is extremely critical to our, our members. As we toured around the state in October uh, on our manufacturing tour on our buses, we heard from every single one of our 76 manufacturers that we visited that workforce is an issue for them. So career and technical education in our K through 12 system is critical to make sure that we are developing that next generation of workforce for our businesses to grow. Uh, Post-secondary education, opportunity scholarships, being able to expand the ability of the opportunity uh, scholarships to fund our uh, two-year college system uh, degrees, our certifications, is critical again to meeting those workforce needs that our businesses are needing. And then work-based learning models as we move into uh, workforce issues, internships, apprenticeships, externships are critical components to being able to provide that, uh, that experience for our students, not only in the K through 12 system, but in our post-secondary. We do believe that there'll be some push for apprenticeship models as the governor has been addressing uh, the need to expand our apprenticeships into, in the state into non-traditional um, uh, non industries. So we'll be monitoring that it does require some additional funding, so is it a matter of we need to look at the models this year and then really be prepared in 2019 to fully fund those opportunities? So that's quick overview on healthcare education and workforce. Unless there's additional is there any items. any questions that you have of Amy? If not, thank you, Amy. Um, and next we'll go with Mary Catherine, uh, doing environmental and uh, climate uh, change issues. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on and um, for everyone who is here today. Um, so I'll briefly discuss some of the, the climate policies we're seeing emerge, some of the energy policies, and then a quick note on water quality. Um, as you know, there is a threat of uh, putting an initiative on the ballot in 2018 concerning climate change. We don't know what that's going to look like yet. Uh, it could be a cap-and-trade model, it could be a carbon tax model, um, or it could be authorizing legislatively the clean air rule, which, as you know, was overturned by uh, a Thurston County Superior Court judge last week in litigation, or two weeks ago in litigation with AWE. Um, so considering that threat, the legislature and the governor's office are looking at other uh, bills to preempt that initiative potentially. We've seen several proposals so far, um, and the, the initiative could be filed as early as in the next couple of weeks in mid-January, so we'll probably see even more bills coming out of the legislature. Primarily, they're coming from the Senate, and we obviously have the governor's bill, which um, is more intrinsically tied with the budget than what we'll see come out of the Senate most likely. Um, the proposals uh, intend to fund, um, you know, pedestrian infrastructure, buses, bike lanes, clean energy technology in the form of a grant program, um, likely at the Department of Commerce, although some proposals are looking to do that through a capital budget committee at the legislature. Um, and businesses would be eligible for upgrades in the form of grants in terms of um, weatherization and energy retrofits or alternative fuel incremental cost replacement if they're wanting to move their vehicles to alternative fuels. 
Um, they're looking at stormwater impacts, uh, mitigation. We know that that's a historically unfunded mandate with local governments. Forest health, that is also um, historically underfunded in the state, and we have 2.7 million unhealthy acres uh, that need to be treated. Uh, rural economic development has been a proposal that is new to these pieces of legislation, but it uh, and there isn't a lot of detail on that just yet, but that would likely be done out of the Department of Commerce as well. And certainly flooding and water storage are always issues um, concerning the climate change bills. So AWB members are, um, are in a variety of positions on these bills, but we do want a clean energy and aggressive innovation agenda on this topic. Um, members don't necessarily support general fund transfers um, as would be in the governor's bill towards K-12 education. Looking for a logical nexus on that. But there's still a lot of work to be done on these bills. Um, there are many questions as to rural vitality when it comes to climate policy. Um, we had a legislator that we were speaking with, for example, say, how do you get at you know the person who has to live in eastern Washington but drive over Snoqualmie Pass every day to get to western Washington to work, um, you know, that their gas tax will go up exponentially in, the, in terms of a carbon tax, and we don't have any existing government infrastructure to uh, remedy that situation for them. So certainly the legislature is keeping an eye on rural economic development with these proposals. We have seen um, a low-carbon fuel standard bill emerge um, from Representative Fitzgibbon in the House. This is a requirement to reduce the carbon intensity of transportation fuels. Um, as you probably know, that was largely preempted in the 2015 transportation budget. Um, however, we are seeing it in, you know, there are some still some issues to work out with LCFS, Low Carbon Fuel Standard, in terms of existing infrastructure and the technology required to, to meet that need. On the energy side, um, as you know, Initiative 937 was passed in, uh, by, in 2006, and that is an intended as a stimulus for wind and solar industries, but it sunsets in year 2020. So we're seeing legislators interested in um, looking for 100% renewable installations, but that could result in excess power or reliability issues. So there's a variety of, approach, of approaches on that so far in the House. Um, incentives, conservation, um, programs, uh, even something like appliance efficiency standards, all of this is getting to energy conservation needs. And then there is another approach from Representative Norma Smith to increase the integrated resource planning requirements so that utilities, when they're planning for their resource future, um, to meet the energy needs of their ratepayers, they will include an analysis of the rate impacts of their lowest reasonable cost and least risk pathways to getting to 100% of uh, a clean energy, zero carbon resource. It's a more measured pathway, and so we'll be working with her on that. On the water quality side, um, as you know, their AWB is one of the um, advisory committee members on the polyfluorinated alkyl substances chemical action plan. But we will, and that process will be moving throughout 2018, but we will be seeing bills emerge prematurely before the, the chemical action plan is finished this legislative session. For example, we will see probably um, a preemption or an outright ban of um, a compound called AFFF, which is used in firefighting foams. Um, for petroleum fires largely by military bases, and uh, you may have read about it in the paper. There have been several communities associated with some spills of that chemical. Um, we'll also see, most likely, a piece of legislation banning the polyfluorinated alkyl substances in food packaging. Um, so that will be an interesting debate, um, and certainly is a conversation for our smaller retailers in the state. Um, any Anything I missed or any questions? No, the only thing I would remind folks, as Mary Catherine talked about, um, uh, climate change moving forward. We've always felt that we have some grave concern as our state moves forward in any type of cap and trade or a carbon tax. 
if you're going to do that, our first belief is it needs to be done on a national level so that all states are in it together. Instead of having us at a competitive disadvantage in our state, having a carbon tax or a cap and trade tax with Idaho that doesn't have one. Mm -hmm. So we are always concerned about us moving forward as the governor wants us to, uh, putting that out there. Second is if you're gonna do a carbon tax, then should it not go back to innovation and technology to help those companies uh, with new, in, uh, new technology? Not as a general fund uh, source of revenue, but to bring it back into innovation and technology. So it's been a difficult one for us. We don't want to see more curtailments of facilities in the state of Washington because of a carbon tax or a cap and trade here. We would rather see those facilities that are clean energy ones stay here, produce here, and grow here. We're starting to see across the country manufacturers looking at coming back to the United States. We don't want to block the state of Washington from a state that those companies won't come to. So we have some grave concerns going forward with a carbon tax as to how does that treat our members that are competing globally or competing with another state that doesn't have one. So those are really our concerns as we move forward in trying to work around this is how do we treat our members to where we don't put everybody into a competitive disadvantage. So any questions of Mary Catherine? Very important issues. She's very, very knowledgeable, as you heard her talked about. What's that chemical? Polyfluorinated alkyl substance. I just love that word, yeah. <laughs> but it is an important issue because, as she talked about, it's a, a chemical that is used by our fire departments, mm -hmm. and especially on military bases that we have. Very, very important for them if you ban that then what does that do if there is, heaven forbid, ever a wreck that is needed, but it's banned in our state? So we have some real concerns about how you go forward with some of these chemicals in our state, banning them. Other states not, but our state's here. Does it then cause our military to start to look because of some of these regulations? Is the state of Washington the one we want to continue to expand mm -hmm. in and stay in? Maybe we ought to be moving our bases elsewhere. So it's, it's that same concern on putting us at a competitive disadvantage. So if there's no questions of Mary Catherine, thank you very much. Thank you. I wanna bring up uh, Clay Hill. Uh, Clay is new, this is his second day at AWB. Uh, certainly to a lot of you, his face is not new. You've seen him before up on the Hill. He's with, was formerly with the House Republican Caucus. But uh, Clay is working with us, taking over the tax and fiscal issues. At least we may shove some other issues at him. We want to get his feet under on the ground underneath him first. But Clay, why don't you just tell us a little bit about you and then go into what you see, uh, the background that you've had before in this session. Great. Thanks, Gary. Uh, again, my name is Clay Hill, and I'll be leading tax and fiscal policy issues for AWB going forward. Um, by way of background, I have uh, about 10 years of experience in general criminal and civil litigation. I've worked in Wenatchee, I've worked in uh, OMAC, uh, I've worked in Seattle uh, before moving into policy. Uh, since 2013, I've worked with the House Republican Caucus staffing the Finance Committee and the Technology and Economic Development Committee. In those four years, uh, we've spent time uh, renewing or extending uh, most of the important tax incentive policy programs in this state whether that was uh, the aerospace package in November of 2013, uh, food processing incentives, data center, 
uh, incentives, the solar energy system incentives, aluminum uh, smelters, and uh, last year uh, there was a new set of incentives for silicon smelters. Um, so I think I have a pretty good background on your basic uh, incentive programs and packages and look forward to representing uh, all AWB members on economic development and tax issues uh, to the extent I can offer anything. Um, I want to talk a little bit about what I see coming in 2018 and some of the other uh, staff have really set this up well. We are in a post-McCleary uh, transition. It'll be interesting to see where the dialogue goes on tax policy. Um, but first, a little background about where economic conditions uh, are in the state. It's stunningly uneven. And um, we have, if you look at state statistics, unemployment is at pre-recession levels across the state. Um, and Washington is outperforming the U.S. economy generally in GDP growth. But this success is geographically uneven. Uh, there is a lot of variation in local conditions that are masked by those state uh, statistics. Uh, in Seattle in November, uh, the metro area, which includes Everett, uh, Bellevue, and Tacoma, uh, had home prices that were up more than 12.4% over the previous year, and it had the fastest appreciating rental market. Uh, meanwhile, in Okanagan County, median household income is at 65% of the state median, and population growth is at one-half of 1%. The King County population, by contrast, grew at a historic rate of 2.3%, the fastest growth rate since 1990-91, and uh, 48,000 people moved to King County in 2016, which was more than the number of people added in Snohomish, Pierce, and Kitsap County combined. Um, the forecasted revenue growth is strong, and uh, government spending is also strong. We have forecasted revenue for the 2017-19 uh, biennium that's 13.7% above the previous biennium, 2015-17. And we have forecasted revenue for the following biennium, 2019-21, that's 9.2% uh, stronger than 2017-19. So we've got historically strong revenue growth. Yet the ending fund balance for 2019-21 is actually projected to be negative, 200 to 300 million, and that's because of some uh, uh, faulty assumptions about caseloads, healthcare costs, and pension costs. In other words, the maintenance level, what it costs to run government, is growing uh, just as fast as our strongest revenue years. And how that changes the picture about how we discuss our tax policy in this state will be important going forward. Tax policy is definitely in flux. Uh, we've mentioned the McCleary ruling. We've gone, we're transitioning from a discussion about how much tax is necessary to have adequate revenue to fund our paramount duty to a uh, discussion about uh, where, where there's sort of agreement that we have adequately funded our paramount duty. And uh, even, even the Supreme Court in its uh, November order uh, said, and this is a quote, the legislature has enacted a funding system that when fully implemented will achieve constitutional compliance according to the benchmarks that have consistently guided judicial oversight. I boil that down to the Supreme Court putting its stamp out there and saying uh, there is enough money for your paramount duty. So the question is if revenues are adequate, I think that the conversation will change to is it equitable? Uh, are the right people paying the appropriate percentages and proportions? And we've seen that dialogue progress a little bit in recent years with proposals about a graduated uh, real estate excise tax, meaning you might 
instead of a flat uh, percentage on, on home sales or any sales of real property, you would uh, have those who have uh, property that's worth more pay a higher percent in a higher bracket. Uh, we've seen a proposal for a capital gains tax to address some of these equity issues. And also there have been discussions uh, the past few years about in increasing the B&O rate on service businesses. Um, so we've got that new uh, change in tax policy, and I think we will also see a bigger discussion about local taxing authority. Uh, Seattle was in the news a lot in uh, 2017. This is the first legislative session we will uh, have following uh, on the heels of Seattle voting for a local income tax ordinance that's been challenged in the court. Uh, soda taxes, short-term rental taxes, and, and uh, tabling an employee head tax. It'll be interesting to see how the legislature wrestles with local taxing authority in that environment. And in addition, uh, the legislature responding to the Washington State Association of Counties and their continued effort to raise the profile of um, you know, their revenue sustainability for, for our local government partners. How does the legislature see that issue going forward? Um, so there have been very few pre-filed bills on, on taxes so far, but I think in a, in a year where we're not talking about increasing revenue with new taxes, there is great opportunity to work on improving administration of taxes uh, so that it's easier for the taxpayer. And there have been uh, three interesting bills proposed uh, in the House side uh, dealing with um, the filing date for self-employed filers, um, reducing filing frequency so maybe not so many are having a, a report monthly and uh, updating the filing threshold that is the the amount of income you have to have as a small business to have to file in the first place the the income threshold hasn't been changed in a number of years so maybe we can work on the uh, administration of taxes if we're not changing the the revenue streams i think clay points out a very good point to remember is in the next biennium there's a negative fund balance all the more reason you don't want to take the fund balance we have this year of $1.2 billion and spend it today. You create a bigger bow wave and a bigger deficit going into 2019. As Clay also said, similar to what I said, I don't think you'll see tax proposals. I think you'll see a lot of talk about it. But if they dry out down the funding balance, then all of a sudden you create 2019 where okay do they seriously now have to look at because our fund balance is off and we're out of money so it's really really important that each and every one of you talk to your legislators and express very sharp concern don't touch the funding imbalance ending fund balance leave that there we need it for 2019. we all know and we've talked for several years the economy is still growing but we don't know if we're at the top of that bubble but we all know at some point we're going to tip over and drop a bit and then go back up. And that's been a concern of many legislators as our budget has grown. As, as Clay said, almost 14% this biennium, another 9 or 10% next biennium. Can we sustain that long term without more revenue? Remembering that we, the business community, pick up 58% of all state and local taxes. You can't keep taxing us out of the market and make us less competitive across the board. So see, any question. questions? Yeah, I do have a question. Um, there was a question about whether I see the state developing a comprehensive rural economic strategy. I appreciate that question. And as I left uh, my work over 
uh, working for the, the House Republican Caucus, that was something that um, I felt like the dialogue was growing uh, around looking at that, a comprehensive strategy, in part moved by the business community and the AWB Rural Jobs uh, Summit, which I was able to attend in October of last year. But the issue is the trend in economic development was to focus on uh, industry clusters. And to its credit, commerce for a number of years tried to build up expertise and uh, prowess and prominence having specialists in different industry clusters, a tech guy, a, a maritime strategy guy, an aerospace uh, lead, a military uh, and defense industries lead. That sort of, let's build clusters. But as we've seen, the data has just kind of moved beyond where the strategy folks were in, in thinking about innovation clusters. The data is we have persistent deficits in rural, in geographic areas. And maybe the focus needs to return to a strategy that, that's uh, based on geography. And I, I think that people, my sense is that people are open to that dialogue. Uh, there is uh, a, a governor's uh, budget initiative around uh, uh, some things in the rural development, economic development department and rural broadband uh, office uh, in, in commerce department to, to begin to look at one aspect of, of rural economic development. So I see that heading forward, that we might have a bigger dialogue around that. And I think that's one of the things that AWB, that's why we had two rural job summits last year. That's where we're going to continue our dialogue on that. How do we get growth back into the rural areas? And that's one of the reasons we want to push very hard on reduction of the B&O tax. As we traveled around the state to manufacturers in those rural areas, they could really use that reduction of the B&O rate on those manufacturers down to the same rate as other manufacturers of aerospace have in this state. So that will be a strong dialogue of ours is how do we maintain those industries that you have in the rural, but how do we also enhance to where we have an opportunity to put more jobs out there for those people and not make their kids, their grandkids all have to move to the urban areas uh, to make a living. So thank you. Thanks, Gary. Next one is I want to have Bob come up and talk about a number of employment law issues that we have seen in the last couple sessions, still carrying over into this session that he'll be working on. Thank you, Gary. Uh, Bob Battles uh, doing the employment and labor law issues. Uh, it's, uh, we've got several things that are, as Gary mentioned, uh, are gonna be coming back uh, uh, in this session that we've seen before. Uh, some we made progress with last session, some uh, uh, were, uh, are gonna be some new ideas as well. So if, let's start from workers' compensation. On the workers' compensation side, uh, we see a couple of bills actually uh, making a little bit more movement. Uh, you will see the occupational disease bills that have been out there. There have been two different ones. One is the uh, first responders' uh, occupational disease presumptions, and the other one is a Hamford's uh, occupational disease bill. Both those bills uh, are likely to see some traction. In fact, we've already been told that the, the uh, first week you will see some hearings on one of those at least. Uh, and uh, also another one that uh, we are from A to B looking to try to do something with is maybe on a return to work for the smaller businesses. We've got some concerns with needing some real workers' comp reform uh, in, uh, in the system, but really uh, for the small businesses. That's a, that's a very concern there on, on the cost. This is one of the largest costs an employer has along with health care uh, that comes out of their pocket. The, um, another thing that you're going to see a bill, there is a discussion about the uh, Workers' Comp Reserve Fund and how that fund is uh, 
handled. It's going to be discussed not only at the uh, Roof's Comp Advisory Committee, but there is a bill that's going to be proposed on whether there should be some adjustments that could be separate and apart from uh, for state fund versus self-insured. And so we'll be talking about those and looking at those. Uh, wage and hour. Uh, wage and hour issues are coming back uh, again. We've seen over the years, uh, over at least the last uh, four years, anti-retaliation, wage theft, and uh, some overtime issues. All of those are likely to at least be heard this year. Uh, I do not know whether all of them will make uh, major movements, but we do know that, that some of the bills have actually, again, been scheduled and are being scheduled in the first week or two on uh, especially the uh, wage uh, uh, theft and the anti-retaliation bills. Non-compete agreements. Uh, this is something we've talked about for the last few years. Uh, we thought we were very close. Uh, it got uh, delayed uh, because, or did not pass uh, last year uh, because of some uh, items not related to the bill, but uh, the non-compete agreements uh, will uh, be heard. Uh, there will be a hearing in the Senate, and I would expect to see one also heard in the, in the House on that. The other thing, that, as, as we've all heard the news over the last year, sexual harassment legislation, uh, there, we are going to see that. There's already been a pre-filing of at least one bill by Senator Kaiser. Uh, she pre-filed a bill that would make uh, a non-disclosure requirement for a sexual harassment settlement uh, null and void. You couldn't have that. Uh, so, and that's where I think it's going to be interesting because I don't think you're going to see necessarily legislation that just says you can't sexually harass, but it's going to be how in what context do you, do you address those issues. A little bit more, I think really a more deeper dive because of the situation that's out there. Uh, and AWB will be working with uh, our members on, on how we want to approach each one of these to make sure that employers uh, are protected, but at the same time that employees are also protected on this important issue. Uh, the um, tech issues also are going to be out there. Uh, there, uh, you've you've heard about uh, again on the national level, and I, and this is also coming down to the state level. The net neutrality, net neutrality is going to be a discussion uh, from several of our members about how that is going to be handled on the state level. Will there be some state legislation? Uh, the other one is internet service provider uh, privacies, uh, and uh, which we saw some bills run at the end of session last year. Uh, and you'll see that that's coming back up. Also, uh, interesting enough, there's some uh, new uh, discussions regarding uh, taxing and, and, and fees on, not taxing, but fees on tech hardware. You know, everybody, I would assume that us on this thing is actually sitting at a computer or through an iPhone or through an iPad. It's all tech, and they're talking about fees on that. And that's going to be a cost to uh, employers uh, and to, uh, frankly, everybody out there. And uh, that's uh, something we need to make sure that when they're considering these things, they're taking into account all of the other fees and, and costs that they're putting onto businesses as well. Uh, one uh, big issue that uh, has been talked about and will be uh, see major movement is the, uh, the pay equity issue. Uh, it's been there every year. Representative Sen uh, and uh, uh, Representative McCabe uh, in the House are working on this issue. Uh, Senator uh, Cleveland and then Senator Fain are working on this in the Senate. Uh, uh, that there is a hearing I know scheduled uh, in the first, uh, well, let's just say midweek next week on uh, pay equity for uh, the Senate. So we're going to see. Uh, a lot of uh, movement on this. There's already been a lot of discussions that both AWB and several of our members have been engaged in with Representative Sin, Senator Cleveland, Senator Kaiser, and Senator Fain, and Representative uh, McCabe. So uh, this one, folks, you, you, you want to make sure that we watch this. We're, we're looking to try to make sure that this is, you know, 
pay equity is important, but we also want to make sure that there isn't a uh, micromanaging of employers to, when you're trying to address issues uh, with your employees. Uh, paid family leave, we all know this one took place last year. It was a big, a lot of work. Uh, I know it was uh, difficult for our members, difficult for A to B to go through this. Uh, it was uh, a long process, and I want to thank everybody that participated in that. Uh, it, there will be a technical bill for some small technical fixes. This isn't going to be something major, but this is where uh, the current legislation that passed last year may have pointed uh, with a, used a small E instead of a large E. It's some really very basic technical. So you're going to see that bill come through, but I want folks to know that that's not going to radically change it. But what you should keep important on that is there's rulemaking going on that. Uh, one thing that happens with the legislature is the rulemaking at the agencies doesn't stop. And so all of that uh, is need to be addressed as well. So make sure that uh, we keep on top of that. Uh, last two quick things, uh, ban the box, or uh, they call the Fair Chance Act. Uh, we are going to see some movement on that. That's, uh, uh, it, you've seen that in Seattle. You've seen that in Spokane, uh, talked about in Tacoma. I think you're going to see something potentially moving on the, on the state level. Ban the box meeting. Removing the, uh, the requirement that somebody has to check mark whether they have been convicted of a crime on the application process. We actually had legislation that we got to the point where uh, we could go neutral on it, A to B did over the years. Um, and what that did is because uh, it said that on that first application review, you didn't have to... You, could, you, you couldn't ask them that, but you could do it before you had to, you could check on it and see before you had to do the first interview. Uh, Seattle actually has a conditional offer requirement of, of employment. And so uh, we're working on trying to make sure that that, that uh, addresses those concerns again of employers. And, uh, you know, again, don't forget the rulemaking process that's happening. Uh, I know that some folks also here has been uh, with the uh, I-1433 and the paid safe and sick leave. So I just want to remind folks while we're here, uh, that started January 1st. And if you have any questions on that, please don't hesitate to ask us. We've done some webinars on it. We're happy to help you with that. And remember the pay safe and sick leave is because of the initiative that was done on raising minimum wage to 1350. It's something we didn't want to see happen. We knew it was going to be in the initiative. Uh, and it's very restrictive and it hits every one of your employees, uh, even if they're part-time employees. So we really want to watch out for that. Uh, and all. So also, I think, Bob, you've also said on the technical fix for paid family leave, the title is very, very tight to where nothing can be slipped in from either side. It is strictly for some technical fixes. And, uh, and uh, there's been an agreement with both labor and business and the Republicans and Democrats that, that nobody wants to open that up. They just want to fix it. They all understood. And now, we don't control what happens on the floors, but, but there has been at least an understanding and discussion with the players on that. We do have a question here. Uh, the question was, will predictive scheduling be on the table? Th this is a, a, an issue that happened in Seattle, and we expected this to be moving down to the state. I know that they actually talked about it, and it happened in Oregon as well. It's interesting, though, that it, we haven't seen it, uh, any pre-filing of legislation and or any legislation at this point. So at this point... Um, my, my belief is we will not see it this session. 
in, in discussions we had with uh, both uh, Senate leadership and some House leadership, they are not as motivated to move it. But and, and the folks that were talking about it actually are no longer in the legislature. They had gone up to Seattle on, on some other uh, ventures. And so uh, that doesn't mean it won't. But at this point, we have seen nothing on predictive scheduling. But don't you feel part of that is the workers are starting to see the effect on it and how it would affect them because a lot of them want to work a double shift. A lot of them don't mind coming back in and working. And so they're seeing that this actually would harm themselves more than help them uh, in cutting some of their hours out. I think that's exactly right. Uh, I think Seattle was sort of surprised when they did the final implementation how much there was opposition not only from business but from labor on that. Any other questions of Bob? Okay, thank, thank you, you, Bob. And uh, last but certainly not least, uh, Mike Anderson. I think that Mike has done a fabulous job this year and really working on a major issue with us, and that is working on the Rural Jobs Summit. Summit came off really, really great. Higher attendance than we had ever anticipated. A lot of discussions around it. We want to continue to work on that. We are very much concerned about the rural jobs situation out there. Um, I also have just got a map from Employment Security that has the richest to the poorest counties, which is very, very interesting. And how do we help those poorer counties? How do we help them maintain or enhance their base for jobs out there? So, Mike. Thank, <coughs> excuse me. Thank you, Gary. I, yeah, and there's actually four different topics I want to talk about uh, this morning. I'll start with rural jobs since Gary introduced it. Uh, we did host two rural job summits this year, very well attended. Um, we subsequently created a rural jobs task force made up of AWB members where we spent the last quarter of, of 2017 uh, discussing the results of the Rural Jobs Summit and coming up with an agenda that we could pursue during the 2018 legislative session. Uh, that task force uh, met several times at the end of the year last year and came up with that list. Uh, we've currently put the LO together and have now presented or about to present it to the executive committee for approval. So that will sort of define our, our role as we move forward during session. Uh, the group also is looking uh, at uh, creating a broader strategic plan for AWB as it relates to rural jobs moving forward in the future. Uh, we'll be a little bit more methodical uh, and, and take a little bit more time with creating that broader uh, plan as we move forward. But if you're interested in participating in the Rural Jobs Task Force, please let me know. Uh, happy to uh, uh, talk to you about that. Uh, a couple of uh, other topics I'd like to talk about are transportation, land use, and uh, Her the Hearst decision uh, as it relates to water resources. Uh, transportation in 2018, I think we'll see um, discussion on the 405 toll, toll lanes. Uh, the express lanes on, on, on 405 have garnered a lot of attention over the last couple of years. Uh, a state uh, independent study showed that the state is actually failing at meeting the statutory requirements and performance measures on 405. Um, in one interpretation of the statute, that means that the state has to stop uh, uh, running those hot lanes and instead create uh, shift them into general purpose lanes. Uh, so we'll uh, probably see a lot of discussion about that in during session uh, on that issue. Uh, we'll also probably see a bill on sound transit. Last year, a lot of discussion about uh, sound transit's methodology with uh, applying car tabs in its latest uh, ballot measure that was approved by voters. 
Um, we'll likely see a bill that will move this session uh, requiring Sound Transit to use the state methodology um, on uh, applying car tabs rather than the methodology that Sound Transit created on its own. Uh, we'll also probably see some legislation on autonomous vehicles uh, and uh, transportation network companies. I think Uber and Lyft um, will, will pursue some sort of statewide regulation um, uh, on their business activities here in Washington as well. Uh, for land use, uh, the, the top three issues that we've been working for uh, the last several years um, have been vesting the State Building Code Council and HPA. Um, the, the, the vesting legislation, uh, Representative Goodman is spearheading, spearheading for House Democrats. Um, he's supposed to have a, a draft of a bill uh, sometime this week uh, looking at reforming some of the vesting rules in Washington. We've been part of the stakeholders group with him in trying to uh, reach a, a fair compromise on that. The State Building Code Council, um, we've been seeking reforms for the Building Code Council for a couple of years now. Uh, the, the director of the State Building Code Council did uh, resign at the end of last year and we have a new director. Um, quite honestly, that relieved a lot of pressure um, with the State Building Code Council and the issues uh, that the business community had experienced with that organization. Um, but Representative Sin uh, and Representative Chapman are looking at uh, pursuing uh, reforms uh, that would satisfy some of the other issues that weren't related to the director uh, that the business community has asked for as well. Uh, so we'll be working with, with them on that as well. And, and then the HPA legislation. Uh, last year, well, we led the negotiations in trying to come up with an HPA uh, compromise. Uh, the agency was looking at wanting to increase fees uh, for the HPA program, while the business community wanted to uh, not only reform it, but define where the jurisdiction of the agency actually lied. Uh, we had members who were out in the field complaining that the, or that the agency was applying HPA in areas where they shouldn't have been and also doing it inconsistently. Uh, so we wanted to see a, 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 a sort of a, a more specific definition on when HPA could be defined in exchange for uh, the fee increase that the agency was looking for. So we'll be working with the, the agency and lawmakers on that bill as well. Um, Hearst. Uh, water resources. I think a lot of you have probably heard about the Hearst issue um, since the Supreme Court ruling last year. Um, it's held up the capital budget um, and uh, we've also experienced a, a change in, in leadership in the Senate Democrat caucus or the Senate in, in the Senate that the Democrats have taken over so it's sort of changed the equation a little bit. Um, the, our Water Resources Committee had a conference call yesterday with Representative Springer um, Representative Springer is the lead negotiator for the House Democrats on Hearst. Um, they have presented a new proposal. Um, it's different from what we've seen in the past, um, and I would characterize, characterize it as a much better start um, than what we've seen um, from uh, the legislature uh, before. Uh, so we're, we're optimistic uh, that we can see movement on a, on a Hearst compromise this session. Um, Representative Springer informed us that Representative Taylor, who's the lead negotiator for the House Republicans, is uh, supposed to present their response to his bill uh, later in the day yesterday, and they were going to have their first negotiating session on those two bills on Thursday, which is tomorrow. Um, some important uh, uh, statements that Representative Springer made yesterday, which I think are, are relevant here, is, is one, they've moved away from a temporary fix on Hearst. Uh, he, was, he was very clear 
and candid that the caucus is not going to pursue a temporary fix. They are going to look at doing something very permanent, which is something AWB and the rest of the business community has been asking for for the last year. Uh, so a very positive step in, in the right direction there. Uh, and then secondly, he's, he wants to be sure that um, it's a, ba a bipartisan bill. He does not think that Democrats can um, uh, get a bill out uh, without Republican support, um, nor should he, right? Uh, this is a very uh, complicated topic that impacts uh, a lot of different uh, rural areas across Washington state, and they need to have a bipartisan compromise. It's probably what the problem uh, was in reaching an agreement uh, last session. It was not bipartisan. Uh, he is making a special effort at wanting to have a bipartisan bill go to the floor. So him and Representative Taylor uh, are coming together tomorrow to see how they can combine the two bills, the two proposals that, that they've put together into something that uh, both sides can agree to. Uh, so very, very um, uh, positive steps, uh, I think, uh, for Hearst. Um, it sort of floundered um, in, in the interim uh, in 2017, and I think it's taking a, uh, a turn toward um, hopefully getting a compromise and a bill passed uh, in 2018. So uh, that's uh, my update on my issue areas. I'm happy to answer any questions that um, anybody has. Mike, if you could, because Hearst is really tied a lot to the rural areas, really has an impact if you want to have economic development in the rural areas. But there's another one out there, the Foster Fix, that really ties more around the city's ability to get more water. Is that not correct? And are we looking at addressing that because that also will have a major impact on a lot of the rural cities? Yeah, it, great question. The Foster uh, case um, was really the precursor to Hearst, and a lot of people think that Foster um, was the reason that the Supreme Court went the way it did in Hearst. Uh, so uh, fixing Hearst without fixing Foster, some think it is um, uh, meaningless. Uh, and local governments uh, want a foster um, fix as well, which is why they're at the table and wanting a hearse fix as well. Um, some of the proposals that we saw last session did include a foster fix. Uh, many on the, the, uh, on the House side did not include a foster fix. Uh, uh, Representative Springer's proposal does include foster in his draft. However, it's only a task force that would bring a group of stakeholders together to look at um, identifying what the problems are and coming up with some solutions. I imagine that Representative Taylor's draft um, that he presents to Representative Springer is going to have a full foster fix in it. So they'll have to come together on Thursday to, to, to find some sort of compromise with that issue. Um, we support a foster fix included in Hearst and think it, excuse me, that it's important to have uh, included in, in any bill that moves forward. <coughs> excuse any, me. Any questions for Mike? Uh, there, yeah, there is a question here, anything on the Hearst decision, uh, which we've been talking about. Um, I, I might add on that issue, Representative Springer did agree to continue conversations with us in our Water Resources Committee. Um, he he uh, uh, said that he would do another f conference call with us next week. Um, so hopefully I'll get him and Representative Taylor in sort of a weekly dialogue with our committee um, on the Hearst decision, because I know it, it is probably the most important issue, in my issue areas anyway, uh, for our members. And I want to be sure that everyone's informed and, and can also express their positions on all the drafts that we're going to see come forward. 
So be on the lookout for that. If you're not part of the Water Resources Committee, please let uh, someone here at AWB know or you can contact me directly as well and we can make sure that you get on that list. So if there's no other questions, first of all, I want to thank everybody again for uh, tuning in with us today. If you have more questions that you didn't present to us, don't feel bad in sending those to me or the staff. We'll still answer those questions. As you've heard from each of my staff, it's going to be an interesting session, but yet at the same time, I think we're going to wrap up in 60 days. And I'm really hoping that uh, we're going to get the water taken care of first. That is a major, major issue with this state in moving forward if we want to have economic development in our state. Uh, Gary, I might add, Representative Springer yesterday on our call uh, said that he would, uh, uh, he would get a tattoo uh, if the legislature passed a hearse fix in the first two weeks of session. He, he did not clarify what the tattoo would be or where it would be, uh, but he did commit to getting a tattoo <laughs> as long as we passed hearse in the first two weeks, which I'm not sure if that's incentive for him to do it or not, but that's what he said. Did you tell him you would <laughs> shave if it got done within the first week or well, two? I don't know about he got that. a tattoo, okay. <laughs> So you're going to see a lively session, a lot of issues to cover. I want to remind you also that uh, we have our Ledge Day coming up on the 16th of January. Uh, if you haven't registered for it, please do. We will have a lively discussions. I believe some of the breakout sessions will be around education, um, more along uh, the lines of employment uh, law issues. Um, also, uh, we will have a panel of hopefully all four caucus leaders. So we're going to have some good panels. But at the same time, remember that if you work with us, let us know. We'll help you line up a time that you can meet with your legislators. So if you haven't done that, please let us know so that we can work with uh, your legislator staff in getting a time that you can go in and visit with them. And we'll probably have a one-pager to hand out of the issues that are important to AWB in this session, which Hearst is going to be a major one of those. Our B&O tax reduction is going to be one of those in this session that we need to have accomplished. So without anything else, I think that's it. Thank you. We're going to be looking at how do we continue some of these discussions. Uh, whether we want to do more live ones or whether we want to do podcasts that you can pick up at any time, keeping you informed as we go forward. And one last thing, as Mike said, if you are listening to this and you're not tuned into our committees, please do that because that's where you will get the information that every one of the staff talked about today. Uh, we will flood your email boxes with information that you need to help us. And when you talk to your legislators, about the issues we just went through, if you can pass that information to us so we know what they're telling you or they telling you the same thing they're telling us. So with that, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. We hope this is informative. Let us know if it's informative so that we can continue doing these. Uh, would greatly appreciate that. So thank you very much.